Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Relationship Center on the Edify Podcast Network. My name is Anis Wamboye and I'm glad you've tuned in. We're doing a session today called Gospel Reconciliation and we're going to be looking at the book of Luke chapter 15 from verse 11 all the way down to 32. It's a very famous passage, famously known as the Prodigal Son, but today we're going to give it a different title and we're going to look at it in detail and find out what does it mean for God to reconcile with humanity? What are the hindrances that occur in that reconciliation and how can we overcome them so that we can be united wholly, fully with God in his salvation? So Luke 15, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. This is what it says. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to feed his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older brother, or rather the older son, was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Verse 29. But he answered his father, Look! All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitute, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, verse 31, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that's the word of the Lord. So, this passage has often been called the parable of the prodigal son. And in as much as we focus on the young son who went out and squandered his property, Jesus actually has a God, Jesus actually has a different um, desire for us. When you look at the start of the parable, verse eleven, look at how Jesus introduces the parable. The Bible says Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. So this parable is not just about one son, it's about three people. It's about a man and it's about two sons. 
And if you focus on just one person in this parable, and that is the younger brother, who is famously known as the prodigal son, you will miss out on the lesson that the father is given. You will miss out on the important thing that Jesus is trying to teach in this passage. You must focus on all three characters. You must focus on the man who is the father, you must focus on the older son, and you must focus on the younger son, both sons. And it's interesting that the Bible begins in verse 11 by saying Jesus continued, meaning that Jesus is passing on a message that he has actually given before. And if you look at Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 15, from verse 1 to 10, you understand that the whole context of this is Jesus addressing two groups of people. And if you understand the two groups of people he's addressing, you'll understand very well why when you're looking at the parable, you need to focus on all three people and not just one of them. Verse 1 begins by saying, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So there you have the first group of people, tax collectors and sinners. The Bible goes on to say, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And there you have the second group the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So Jesus has got an audience of two kinds of people, tax collectors and sinners who are basically regarded as the scum of the earth in that culture. And then you've got Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are considered the righteous people in that culture. And both these people are listening to Jesus speak. And when Jesus has their attention, he begins to speak in a parable or rather in parables. And he gives three parables. The first parable he gives, if you read verse 1 to verse 7, he gives a parable of a lost sheep. And he says a man, a shepherd, had a hundred sheep. He lost one. And what did he do? He left the 99 and went out seeking for the one. And when you read this parable, you can tell very clearly that he's appealing to the tax collectors and the sinners. He's telling them, hey, you are that one lost sheep. You are that one lost soul that has been lost out and listen the shepherd loves you so much he's willing to leave the 99 and go out looking for you and they will be rejoicing in heaven for you when you repent and so you can imagine how the tax collectors and sinners are comforted and then he goes on from verse 6 to verse 10 to give a second parable he says a woman has 10 silver coins and then she loses one and what does she do she sweeps the house lights a lamp searches carefully and then she finds this lamp she finds this coin rather and then she calls her friends and they celebrate. And she says, hey, I found my lost coin. And again, he's appealing to the tax collectors and the sinners. He's saying, you are that lost coin. We were looking for you and we found you. And now the celebration, in fact, even in verse 10, a very famous verse in Christendom, it says that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so you can imagine how affirmed the tax collectors and the sinners are, are feeling. And rightly so, because Jesus wants all men to be saved. The Bible says in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5 that God desires all men to be saved. Right? I believe it's 1 Timothy chapter 2, not verse chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 2, let me just uh, read that for you. All right? Um, it says that this is good, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3, and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Jesus does not have favorites. Jesus does not bring his salvation to a select few. Jesus does not cherry pick. He does not have a certain pedigree of people that he's chosen. The Bible says he wants all 
men to be saved, all people to be saved. And that's exactly what he's emphasizing here. He's saying, hey, tax collectors, sinners, take heart. God wants you to be saved. God wants you to be redeemed. And then Jesus gets to the third parable. And by the time Jesus is given a third parable concerning being lost and being found, you can see that there's emphasis. And Jesus wants to emphasize and let the sinner know, please understand that it doesn't matter how bad your sins are. It doesn't matter how lost you are. You can be found. You can be redeemed. And so Jesus gives a third parable. But in this third parable, it's different from the first two parables. Because in this parable, he's not only addressing the tax collectors and the sinners, he's also addressing the second category of people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. What does he say to them? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So he says a man had two sons. And so right from the onset, Jesus is making a demarcation that there are two different sons here. And as you read the story, you actually understand that the younger son here represents the first category, the tax collectors and the sinners. So the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Now, some of you reading that may not understand the big deal, but that is a big deal. The listeners of Jesus must have been shocked to hear that the younger son had asked his father for his property. Why? Because for the property to be divided between for the property of a man to be divided to his children the man had to be dead the man had to have died so for this man to ask for his father's property while his father is still alive is synonymous to wishing his father dead he's basically saying old man you need to kick the bucket I can't wait for you to die to acquire this property, so give it to me now. He's basically saying, I cannot wait. Now that is indeed very, very shocking. Why is it shocking? Because in ancient cultures, the father was afforded such high respect and such high honor. And what the younger son is doing here is a very high level of dishonor. Now what is more shocking is the father's reaction. The Bible says he divided his property between them. The father actually divided his property between them. Now, the most prime property was the land in the Jewish culture. And the land represented the life of a family. And so here, when the father is dividing his property, he's not just dividing things, he's dividing the life of the family. The younger son is breaking the family for his own personal profit. And you can see the father is not esteemed by the younger man, by the younger brother. The father is only necessary to the younger brother because of the things that he has. The Bible goes on to say that this younger brother, who is the tax collectors and the, uh, and the sinners, uh, got together all he had not long after that, and he set off for a distant country, and then there, he squandered his wealth in wild living. And this is true of many younger brothers, people who've had some serious pasts, that the life that God has given you is often squandered. You look at your life and you understand, oh my goodness, God has been so good to me. God has given me so much. And what have we done with that life? It's squandered in wild living. He wastes the inheritance. The life that he received is thrown to pieces. 
And the Bible says he spent everything, verse 14, then a severe famine in that whole country came and he began to be in need. Now here Jesus is speaking of the moment of reckoning that many younger brothers face. They get to a place where the things that used to satisfy them cannot satisfy them anymore and they begin to be in need. They begin to have a hunger that the things that they once had cannot satisfy. And then it says, he went out and hired himself to a citizen of that country to send him to his field to feed pigs. Now this just shows the desperation of the tax collectors and the sinners, the desperation of younger brothers to try and satisfy that hunger, that need that they have that has been brought about by the famine in their lives. Verse 16 says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And this is just to emphasize that Jesus is telling us the life outside the Father is a, is, is a life not worth living. It's a life that is empty. It's a life that is broken. It's a life where after all the pleasure has been, ex, has, has, has been expended, you are left with nothing, you are left in need, and no one can satisfy you the way the Father used to satisfy you. And at this moment, the younger brother is probably mirroring his experience, thinking about his life, and he's thinking about his life uh, in, the, in the father's house. And he's thinking, the two do not mirror. The two do not look alike. The two do not uh, compare. And it's funny that it is at this moment where he discovers how good the father has been to him. And this is what happens to many younger brothers. That you spit at the father, you take advantage of all the resources he's given you, all the gifts he's given you, the gift of your sexuality, the gift of your body, the gift of family, the gift of your health, the gift of, of marriage. And he's given you all these wonderful gifts, but you take them for granted, you squander them. And you get to a place when you're all alone, you are dying, you are frustrated, you are left with nothing. And then verse 17 hits you. What does it say? It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Look at that. He came to his senses. And this is what happens with us for God to reconcile us through the gospel. That he appeals to our mind. He lets us think. If you read the Bible in the book of Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, he says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as red as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they be as red as crimson, I will make them as white as wool. He's saying, think, come, let us reason, come, let us think, come and examine, think about the life that you have. Is it worth it? Think about who Jesus says he is. Think about what Jesus is offering. Think about the Father's house. Think about what you've done. Do you want to be out here having squandered your wealth? Do you want to remain here with the pigs? Think about your friends. Are they worth it? Is this worth living for? Think about the four big questions. Think about origin. Where do we come from? Think about morality. Who determines what is right and wrong? Think about meaning. What is the purpose of life? Think about destiny. What happens when we, when, when, when we die? Think. Come to your senses. And this is what happens to the younger brother. He comes to his senses. He thinks. And when he thinks, he says, My goodness, life is not out here. Life is in my father's house. And then it says in verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Gospel reconciliation begins when we understand that we've sinned against our father. Gospel reconciliation begins when we admit that we have sinned against our father. Gospel reconciliation is enhanced when we do this. We come to our senses 
and understand that we are sinners. There is no reconciliation without understanding that we are sinners. There's no reconciliation while assuming our goodness. There's no reconciliation where we justify our actions. There's no reconciliation between us and God where we are not true to the, uh, to, 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 to the matters on the ground that we have sinned against heaven and against our Father in heaven. And then what happens, verse 19, the Bible says that he said to himself, that he would say to his father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, gospel reconciliation happens when we understand that we do not deserve the love of the father. Look at him. He says, Father, just don't make me your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, who was a hired servant? Um, typically, in a Jewish home, there were three kinds of laborers. So you had sons who were co-heirs, and these were people who were going to inherit the property. And then you had servants who were people who served the master and his sons and they lived within the compound and they earned a salary and they ate at the table of the master. And then you've got hired workers or hired servants. Who were hired servants? Hired servants were people who lived in the town and they walked around the city or walked around the town asking if there was any work for the day and they'd be paid a daily wage. And so here, when he's saying he's going to go back to his father, he's not asking for reinstatement as a son. He's not even asking for reinstatement as a servant. He's asking for reinstatement as a hired servant. The younger brother understands that he is not worthy. He understands that he does not deserve it. And verse 20 says, he got up and went to his father. And this is the clarion call to everyone out there. Gospel reconciliation happens or it, or it continues rather when we get up and go to the Father. So gospel reconciliation happens when we sense our need, our emptiness, when we come to our senses. Gospel reconciliation is enhanced when we realize our sinfulness. Gospel reconciliation continues when we realize how undeserving we are. And then gospel reconciliation continues when we get up and go to the Father. And that's exactly what he does. He has realized his need. He has come to his senses. He has realized his sinfulness. He has realized his unworthiness. And now he realizes his need to go to the Father. And so he gets up and goes to the Father. Now this is important because there may be younger brothers out there who are listening to this message and you don't get up and you don't go to the Father. You realize your need. You come to your senses. You realize your sinfulness. You realize your unworthiness. And instead of all that driving you to the Father, it drives you away from the Father. You find that you are driven by the voice of Satan. And the voice of Satan says, you don't deserve to go back to the Father. Just stay here. But look at the younger brother. The younger brother knows that I need to go back and receive mercy. It is pride that keeps us from going to the Father. And yet it is humility that keeps us going to the Father. Look at what the younger brother does. The younger brother does not go look for the best suit. He does not go and hire some fantastic clothing. He does not go look for a great caravan so that he can go back home in style. He goes as he is. And this is what the father is calling for younger brothers to do. Come as you are. Come just the way you are. And so he goes. Many times, um, there are many younger brothers who, when I minister to them, I hear them say, you know what, Ernest? 
let me clean up my mess first. Especially if you've sinned, you say, let me clean up my mess, then I go to the Father. Imagine if you felt sick today and you are in critical condition and the doctor said, please come, let me see all your symptoms so that I may understand what disease it is. And instead of going to the doctor as you are, you decide to suppress those symptoms by self-medicating. You take a painkiller, you take some antihistamine, you do everything in your power to reduce all the symptoms. Then you go to the doctor and try to present yourself to be as healthy as possible. Do you think you're doing yourself a favor? Do you think you're impressing the doctor? Some of us think we can impress Jesus or some of us think we are doing ourselves a favor by waiting to heal, by waiting to be whole and then appearing before his presence. You are actually doing quite the opposite. You're doing yourself a disfavor and you're not impressing him. You have to go to God as you are. You have to go to God as you truly are. We never self-medicate before we take ourselves to a doctor. We never treat ourselves, then go to a doctor for healing. We go to the doctor as we are to receive the healing. And the Bible says, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, here we see the father saw him when he was still a long way off. And it's as if the father had always been looking down that road one day hoping for him to come home. Which day will it be today? And this particular day, the father sees him. He was still a long way off. And was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. Now again, we see a character of the father that is unlike any other kind of father. Jewish fathers did not run. <laughs> Jewish fathers did not run. Jewish, running was for women and children. <laughs> Jewish fathers did not do this. The father is acting out of character. And once again, we see the father doing something that just really, really shocks Jesus' listeners. He throws his arms around the son. He kisses him. Guys, I don't know about you, but if I did this to my father's property and I saw him running towards me, I turn and I run in the opposite direction for my life. But this father is a good father. This father is not like our earthly fathers. This father is better than our earthly fathers. This father runs and he embraces his son. Now the son has memorized his script and he begins to say, verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father interrupts him. And the father just says, quick, verse 22, bring the best robe. Now the father says to his servants, all right? This is the second tier of, 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 of people within the father's house, you know? Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now guys, this is a big thing. The readers listening to this must have been shocked. Bring the best robe. The best robe is the father's robe. And yet it's being put on the son. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. What was the ring? In Jewish culture, the emblem, the way you'd sign a document, is that you'd take the family ring, which was almost like an heirloom, and it had a, it had a, it had a, it had a symbol, okay? It had a... It had a signet. It had an insignia. And the insignia was a family emblem or logo. And what would happen is that you would melt molten wax and you would press the insignia against the wax and it would leave there an engravement of the family signal. That was a signature. In, in a sense, the family, the ring was used to transact family property and transact official documents. And yet this ring has been put on this boy and sandals on his feet. What is the father doing? The father is reinstating the son. The father is reinstating the son to the position of not hired servant, 
is reinstating the son not to the position of servant but to the position of a son. He's been given full permission. He's been reinstated back to his position. And the fattened calf is killed. And there's a feast, the celebration. And the father says, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now, most of us read the story until the end of the day, And we say, what a wonderful story. What a fantastic story. Truly, God does redeem. God does help us. We truly have gospel reconciliation. We truly understand our need. We truly understand our sinfulness. We truly understand our unworthiness. We truly, truly, truly understand our need to go back. We truly understand uh, that, that, that we have to go back to the Father. What a fantastic story. Wonderful sermon. This is the, we will do exactly this. <laughs> the sermon doesn't end there. The story continues in verse 25. And the story continuing takes a different tangent from the past two parables. The first two parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin, Jesus ended them as soon as the lost was found. In this particular story, when the lost has been found, the story does not end. And here you understand that from verse 1 to verse 24, when Jesus is talking about the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, he's addressing the tax collectors and the sinners. But then he continues from verse 25, and now he's talking about the older son. And now he's addressing the sinners. He's not, not, not the sinners, rather. And now he's addressing the what? He's addressing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And now it is time for the Pharisees and teachers of the law. He says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and the older son here represents the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now look at verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Oh my goodness. The younger son is back, and you'd expect the older brother to be happy. But no, he's not happy. He's angry and refused to go in. Now, why is he angry? Well, for starters, I'll tell you why he's angry. You see, in Jewish culture, this is how the property was divided. If a father had sons, he would divide the property in this manner. He would give 50% of the property to the older son. And then the remaining 50% would be divided among the remaining sons. So if a man had three sons, 50% of the property would go to the older son, then the remaining 50% would be divided equally amongst the second born and the third born son. That's how it was. First born sons had privilege. And now the older brother here is angry because first of all, the property was already divided. And now there were two sons, which means older son gets 50%, younger son gets 50%. But you must remember, the younger son already squandered his 50%. He destroyed it. He wasted it. And now he has come back. And when he has come back, he's been restored, not as a hired servant, not as a servant, but as a son, a co-heir. Now, you know what that means? That means when the father dies, the property will be divided again. And so the son who remained in the house is upset. He has to be upset. And you see him upset and he's thinking, wait, so if the father dies, the property is divided again. So I'll get 50%. The younger brother will get the remaining 50%. He's the only son. There are no other sons. And therefore, in total, 
the older son will have gotten 25% of the property, a quarter of it, and the younger son would have gotten 75% of the property, 50% of which he squandered. He's angry. He refuses to go in. And his father goes out and pleads with him. And right here we see the character of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the older brothers. Older brothers are not excited at the repentance of younger brothers. Older brothers are frustrated at gospel reconciliation. Older brothers count the loss of having a younger brother come into the kingdom of heaven. They do not see the benefit. They don't see him as a soul. They see him as a hindrance. And older brothers get angry and they refuse to go in because they don't think it is fair that younger brothers should be accepted back at home. And you see this very clearly in verse 29. The older brother answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And it's just amazing that the father, even before you go look at verse 29, that the father went out and pleaded with him. Look at this father, such a gentle father. He doesn't order his older brother and say, hey, your, fa- your son is back. My son is back. He's my younger brother. You come into the house right now. I'm the father. He doesn't do that. He goes out. And you see, realize something about the younger, fa- the, the, about, about the, the, the father. The father is always reaching out. He's always gently reaching out, pleading, interceding. He's always gently reaching out to, to us. And verse 29, he answered this father who came out very gently, very pleading, look, very rudely. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Now right here we get insight into the heart of the older brother. The older brother counts his obedience as slavery. The older brother counts his obedience as pain. He says, all these years I've been slaving for you. And right now here we see the heart of the older brother. That his 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 devotion to his father is not joyful. His devotion to his father is not out of joy, not out of compassion. It is out of he's he's doing it out of duty. His heart is far away from his obedience. And he considers his obedience as slavery. And there are many older brothers like that today who consider devotion to the things of God as slavery. And some of them may even think that the younger brother out there has been having fun. Oh my goodness, he's been out there having fun and I've been here slaving. Older brothers consider younger brothers as people who enjoyed life and yet they were stuck with this kind of life that they didn't want in the first place. This is the heart of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. That they envy younger brothers. That they look at younger brothers and consider their lives as having enjoyed something while they remain here slaving. It is slavery. And there are many older brothers today who don't see the joy of serving the Lord, but they see it as a burden. And they look at what they look at, look at what he says. He says, I've never disobeyed your orders. He looks at the commands of the father's orders. Now it's very difficult to say to, to accept this. Why? Because throughout this text, the father is gentle, pleading, so long-suffering. It is impossible to think that he gives orders. Well, he may give commands, but orders, 
And this is what happens with older with young older brothers. Older brothers interpret the commands of the fathers as orders. They do not see the love of the father. And then look at what he says. He goes on to say, Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Aha. So here we find out something else about the older brother. The older brother is waiting to be recognized, is waiting to be celebrated for his obedience. He's waiting to be rewarded for his obedience. And he cannot understand. And this is what happens with elder brothers. Older brothers get upset that all their obedience, all their remaining in the church has not borne fruit for them. And so the older brother, he said, I have been slaving for you and you've never given me a young goat all these years to celebrate my friends. Let me tell you how that sounds like in modern Christendom. I have been waiting for sex until marriage and all this time I have not gotten married. Yet this younger brother here, uh-huh, has squandered his property on prostitutes and then he's come back and he's repented then he's having a marriage. It's unfair, Lord. My waiting for sex until marriage was in vain. That's how they speak. They say, ah, all these years I have been working, I've been praying for a job and yet this other guy there was in the world, so corrupt, then he comes and he's given a job immediately. I have been fasting and praying and trusting you. And God, the least you could have done is given me this. And yet you don't give it to me. The younger brother. Excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. The younger brother is given an opportunity to come home based on nothing. He's given a position based on nothing he's done. The older brother imagines he deserves to be given it based on his obedience. Older brothers do not understand grace. Older brothers believe that they are owed by God. Now you understand right here that older brothers are not different from younger brothers. Younger brother makes demands of God. Younger brother says, God, give me my property. Give me my share of the estate, let me go. He makes a demand. The younger brother is very outright in what he wants. It's very clear he doesn't care about the father. He only cares about the father's things. But the older brother is not any different. The older brother also says, I've been slaving for you, you've not given me a good. It's very clear that he too, he too, does not care about the father. He only cares about the father's things. And you understand that the older brother and the younger brother are very much alike. The only difference is this. The younger brother is very, very wicked in his attempt to get the things from the father. And yet, the older brother is very, very religious in his attempt to get the things from the father. And God is speaking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law through Jesus. And he's telling the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, Listen, these tax collectors and the sinners, they want the world, they want to have things their way. They want to have things. They don't want the father. Hey, you guys, Pharisees, children of the law, you're just the same. You don't want me. You don't want the father. You just want things. You want me. But you are trying to get those things through being very, very religious and thinking that God owes you for being religious. God owes you for having waited for him. God owes you. The other ones just go and they grab it out through sinful ways. Now, what is the Lord saying here? He's saying, guys... Older brothers, when you look at your heart, it is no different from the younger brothers. 
The tax collectors and the Pharisees were coming to Jesus, and yet the older brothers, the Pharisees and the children of the law, were saying, This man welcomes sinners and is with them, not understanding that they too are sinners. And then the Bible says, verse 30, This son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf. Older brothers have no regard for the humanity of younger brothers. Look at how he addresses his, his younger brother. He says, this son of yours. So not only does he dishonor his younger brother by calling him this son of yours, and then fault, and then accuses him okay, by judging him and says, squander this property with prostitutes. Well, the older brother does not know that. He was not out there. Even if it was true, okay, it is a brazen attack on the younger brother and on his character. He has no regard for his humanity made in the image of God. And also, it is an attack on God. It is an attack on the father. The father here, who is God, is so gentle. And look at how the younger brother speaks to him. This son of yours. Such blasphemy. And many times, older brothers speak such blasphemies towards their fathers. Why? Because their hearts are angry at his compassion. His hearts are angry at the compassion he has for the younger brothers. The compassion of the father irritates them. Older brothers are irritated by the compassion of the father. Verse 31, my son, the father says, look at how entreating the father is. Look at how patient, look at how long-suffering the father is. He still calls him my son. And Jesus here is telling the Pharisees and children of the law, listen, you guys can belong to God as well. He said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, older brother, you've missed the point. It's not about slaving, as you think. It's not about working to get things from me. It's about me. You are always with me. I am the prize. I am with you. I am the prize, older brother. Do you see it? Older brother does not see it. He's only thinking about the calves and the goods that could have been slaughtered for him. Older brothers don't see the joy of having the father with them. Older brothers don't see the presence of the father as an end game. They see it as a means to get his things. Younger brothers don't see the presence of the father as a joy. They only see his presence as a hindrance to getting what he wants. And so while older brothers see the father's presence as a means to get what they want, Younger brothers see the father's presence as a hindrance to get what they want. Either way, their hearts are far away from the father. They don't see the father for who he is. They don't see him for his worth. And the father is saying, you're always with me. The father is the prize. What is Jesus saying? Come to God to get God. Don't come to God to get married. Don't come to God to get a car. Don't come to God to get a spouse. Don't come to God to get a breakthrough. Don't come to God to get anything else but to get God. Come to the Father to get the Father. The fellowship is more important than the things. And then he says, but you have to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He's saying the younger brother was dead and is alive. What does that mean? He has realized that it's not about the things, it's about the Father. And it's an appeal to the older brother. I hope that you too may understand that you are dead and that you need to come to life again and understand that my presence is the most important thing. 
And if you do that, you will stop sulking and you'll come into the party and celebrate the return of your brother. The parable ends with the younger brother outside and the older brother inside. Jesus Christ said the prostitutes and the tax collectors enter the kingdom of heaven before you. What is he saying? He's saying the younger brothers have understood that the presence of the father is what they need. The older brothers have not. And the older brothers are still thinking their pedigree, their worth, their obedience is what counts. And the father said, no, it's his presence that counts. Have you understood the love of the father? Have you understood that the father is all that you need? Have you understood that it's not about the younger brother or the older brother, it's about the father? Have you understood that this is no longer the parable, the parable of the prodigal son, but rather the parable of the lost sons, both of them, and the love of the Father in heaven? Father, I thank you for everyone who's listened to this podcast. I pray that you may inspire them, change them. I pray that, Lord, you may bless them and help them come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I pray that, Lord Jesus, they may come to the understanding that, Lord, you are God and your love endures forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for more great podcasts that will build your faith and inspire you. Please head over to www.edify.app. That is www.edifi.app. Or you could also search for the Edify app in the App Store or in the Google Play Store. Thank you. My name is Anes Wamboe, and I'll see you next time.